0: All right, this is Brendan Sinone with the Knowles 24-7 podcast uh, here with Chris Nee. And joining us today for the first time since we started the podcast is Josh Newberg, uh, who is a member of Knowles 24-7, does a little bit of everything, uh, recruiting extraordinaire. So excited to have him aboard, too. We're a couple days away from Florida State's annual spring game, so I think that's kind of where we will start off Uh start off the podcast today. Uh, Chris, uh, what have been your general thoughts of spring? I think they've had, what, 13 practices, so one more, and then then spring and just takeaways from the demeanor of Coach Jimbo Fisher, players, uh, what have you kind of observed and and learned so far through the spring?
1: Well, I think we talked about it last time on the podcast that last spring was very much a learning spring, and this spring to me hasn't been quite that. This has been more about getting guys comfortable in the roles they're supposed to play. Um, you know, I think Jimbo yesterday was in the best mood. He's probably been in all spring. He was more talkative than he's been all spring with the media. We went over a lot of players, especially a lot of guys that we just haven't talked about a lot in the spring. Offensively, what I took away from the last couple conversations we've had with Jimbo, you know, he's pleased with DeAndre's play at quarterback. He has a stable of running backs, receiver's been kind of a mixed bag, he wants more consistency. Out of a guy like Devontae Phillips, guys like George Campbell and Keith Gavin have been somewhat limited. Tight end, they love Izzo. Offensive line still a work in progress. You know, I think they, they have confidence in guys like Jawan Williams, Josh Ball replacing Roderick Johnson at left tackle. They have confidence in Baby on Johnson taking that next step at center and competing with Everly when he comes back from injury. They have confidence that they have depth at the position. They obviously have about 12 to 15 bodies that they can kind of rely upon. Um, so, offensively, I think they like what they have. A lot of returning starters. They need a few guys to step up. Receiver's going to be the interesting thing with the offensive attack. I don't know how much we'll see of that in the spring game. A couple of those guys might not play. Specifically, Gavin and maybe Tate, who's dealt with some concussion issues. And then uh, the offensive line's going to be something that's, you know, we're not going to know what the offensive line is till halftime in the Alabama game. Even if they figure out who they're starting at five spots, you know, on Saturday yeah I, I just don't think we can really make any leap of faith with what we expect to see from that group until we see them against another team's defensive line and,
0: and you may not even um you may not even know what that offensive line is going to look like a week after that i mean we saw how many different guys shuffled in and out whether with injuries yeah. or just in a so that's just kind of always a uh, uh at least consistently has been a staple for fsu's offensive line is kind of mixing and matching and. matching and there's some some merits to that, but but in, excuse me uh, inconsistency has been uh, an issue. They've been consistently inconsistent for the most part. Um, trying to find guys, uh, kind of rewinding a little bit. One of the the first things you said, Chris, that was particularly interesting was Jimbo being in a pretty good mood. And, and I'm always kind of a fan to kind of see what Jimbo's moods are like. So I think that's kind of indicative of where, where he thinks this team's at. I mean, before last year, he was super relaxed and, and thought that he had a really special team on his hand and uh, ended up being kind of, kind of surprised. And I don't want to say hurt, but, but yeah, was, was certainly stunned by that, that team's uh, slow start. So uh, we saw him a week or so ago and he was, you know, he dropped an F-bomb during, uh, during the uh, you know, post after the first scrimmage Uh really kind of questioned that a lot of the players on the team. And I'm not sure how much of that was, you know, him just wanting to kind of needle some of the guys that he thinks need to be more you know, leaders or whether he's legitimately was pissed off, but he's seemingly gotten in a better mood each and every time we've talked to him since, since then, are you getting the feel and I'll throw this out to both you guys, is the staff feeling comfortable with where this team's at, what it's upside is, uh, especially when it comes to, to mental resolve, the mental makeup, that kind of stuff.
1: I don't think Jimbo's ever comfortable with where his teams are, even the really good teams, the national championship caliber team he had in 2013. I think he always expects more. I think more so the thing is that the first scrimmage is never a good scrimmage. I can't remember ever covering a good first scrimmage in spring. So Jimbo being agitated, unhappy, you know, disappointed with the lack of leadership. Some of that's motivation. Some of that's just the matter of it's the first time they've played a legitimate football type atmosphere, since you know, essentially the end of December, so a lot of guys, and for some guys, it's the first time they've ever done it at the college level. You know, with early enrollees. So I don't read a whole lot into that. I think the biggest thing I've taken from Jimbo exiting this spring and the improved attitude is that some guys that he needed to see take a leap. You know, Jacob Pugh on defense, the left tackle situation on offense. I think he's seeing positive signs there. So I think he's. Somewhat comforted, feeling like they have the pieces necessary to be a pretty good football team. I don't think he's he's not in the mode of worrying about if they're going to win game one right now. He's in the mode of worrying about if they're prepared for when August rolls around to prepare to win game one. I think you feel somewhat comfortable with what they have,
0: Josh. What kind of things are you kind of hearing hearing about confidence level? Where, where how how generally is the staff feeling about this spring? Where where the team's at?
2: yeah well, I think it's Jimbo's job to make them uncomfortable every every season yeah to constantly try to fix things and change the way that they look at everything that they do. I think Jimbo um does a good job of making everybody feel uncomfortable <laughs> all the time. yeah <laughs> right, <guys>? he does <laughs> but um yeah, so so i don't I don't take or gain anything from that, but um speaking of some some people close to the program. You know, from day one of spring practice, I've been told how much further along the offense especially is than it was last year at this time. And that's no big secret, but it stems from from having a second coach on the field now. Last spring, they were trying to get DeAndre Francois to kind of take the reins and become the quarterback for this program moving forward. And he he did just that. So now you move into this spring – and he's he's a step further than he was a year ago. So instead of trying to to force that, not force it, but trying to uh, allow him to take over as the leader, um, now he is the leader, and it's like having a second coach out there. You know, that's kind of the message I've been told is is DeAndre's not sitting there listening to Jimbo bark out orders. DeAndre's the one barking out orders. You know, as Jimbo is.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So they're they're kind of on the same page and I think that's helped a lot in terms of, um, where the offense is. So defense as well. Um, the secondary coming along. One of the names that I've heard that stands out is AJ Westbrook. I'm told that, uh, you know, we saw him struggle last season and I was told that he played through, through a pretty serious leg injury that most people didn't know about. And, that slowed him down, but I was told that there's really no concern. He, he knows the offense or the defense, I should say, as well as anybody in the secondary. Uh, they're very comfortable having him back there. I think that was a little surprising having seen his play on the field. Um, but then, you know, hearing about the injury and, and some things that he played through kind of makes sense. But I think AJ's AJ is going to be one that surprises. And then of course um, you have Derwin back there and, and everything that you hear and read about Derwin has been backed up on my end. I mean, can't say enough good things about him. Just got to make sure he's healthy and gets, gets through this season. I think, you know, he could put together something special before he leaves. So I I hear a lot of optimism. It's good. It makes sense from, from going from one year to the next based on the things that I'm hearing. Um, and I think offensive line, like Chris hit on, it's not there yet. Um, I've been told Josh Ball is incredibly athletic. He's maybe the most athletic person on either side of the ball, offensive or defensive line, I was told. It's just got to come together for him. So all these things like Cam Akers and Josh Ball, all these new question marks, you know, normal season, I don't think it'd be that big of a deal. You just sort it out for the first two games. But with Alabama on the schedule in week one, it kind of makes everything... Everything's a little bit more intense right now, I feel.
1: Yeah, and on that point, every time I'm watching the O-line, taking photos of the O-line, Trickett is just yelling, which is standard Trickett, but... No. He's emphatically bringing up the fact you guys have to use your hands. You have to move your feet. You're playing a team that's going to challenge you in those ways more so than about anybody you've faced in your life. And it's clear as day that it's something he's going to drive home constantly into those guys. And with the O-line, you know, Rick Trickett could tell me that he thinks all five of the starters that they have are great. Jimbo Fisher could tell that to me. All five of those starters could tell that to me. I'm simply not going to believe it till I see him play Alabama. You know, an O-line can look really good in practice. They're going to face the same guys, figure out their tendencies. They're going to work together in a setting where, you know, if you screw up, it's not going to hurt you on the scoreboard and put an L on the win-and-loss column. But when it rolls around to a game, it's a very different element. And uh, – you just don't know. Some guys react really well. Some guys struggle, especially guys that are making their first-ever career start. So we're going to see that at least one position on that unit, and it wouldn't shock, shock me if we see it at two, including maybe the most important at center. So, you know, uh, that group is one that I'm just I'm going to take a wait-and-see attitude with, and that's not going to change at any point until after the Alabama game. Well,
0: and I don't I was gonna call it an issue. I don't wanna necessarily call it an issue, but but I did think for the spring to be successful, one of the things that would have been really beneficial to Florida State is to kinda of leave the spring with with figuring out who its best five were up front and what that combination was, or at least have a a, a pretty clear idea and I mean based on the different combinations that, that we've seen in in small glimpses and what you know Jimbo has told us and kind of reading between the lines there and things that we've heard. I mean, it seems like Josh Ball, that's one consistent thing at left tackle that we've heard is that he seems to be the guy that they trust, that they like. Um, like you said, Chris, who knows what that means other than he at least looks the part uh, in practice, and he certainly does pass the eye test right away. And apparently, you know, the mental maturation is there too. But I don't know what the rest of the offensive line, you know, the starting five is going to look like other than you can assume, you know, Dickerson, once he's – once Landon Dickerson's healthy, he will be at one of the guard spots more than likely. Um Outside of that, like, I don't, I don't know what it's going to be, man. I don't know if Alec Eberly with that hip injury where he is when he comes back. I don't know if Baby on Johnson or Baselli have pushed him enough. I don't know at right tackle. You know, they said they liked Rick Leonard, but we've seen a lot of Brock ruble. Like, uh, there's just, I mean, I've just named, you know, about eight or nine guys right there. I don't know if they have a five, and I don't know if that's something that continues into the off season or not. So I guess that's something that, that I've been a little bit, again, I don't want to say it's an issue, but I just don't know if there's a whole ton of clarity at that position.
1: Yeah, last year, you know, this time and in the preseason, we would hear Rick Leonard's doing really well. Brock Rubel's doing really well. Then when the bullets flew, those guys struggled mightily. And it just is the nature of the beast. So, yeah, they can, they can tell us every good thing on earth. I'm just going to take a wait and see attitude. I think, I think it's smart for the fan base to do that. You know, this mm-hmm. team can be really good, but you open with Alabama – you're going to be challenged at a point where you've had a general weakness in your teams consistently over the last decade. The offensive line, which most people do, most teams do, but you're going to have to take a wait and see attitude to know what you have up front.
0: Yeah, I agree. And yeah, you know, the offensive line, like you say, Chris, that's not. It's not. Every program, for the most part, has these ups and downs at that position. It's not unique to Florida State, but I think it's easy to kind of for us as the people that cover it all the time and for fans who watch Florida State specifically every week to look at it in kind of a, a bubble and, and say, oh, what's up with this offensive line? It's just kind of that, – that's typically how it goes. Um, the One thing that Josh said you know, early on when talking about the team in the spring is is having that second coach on that field and DeAndre Francois. And we've touched about this a little bit in the podcast in previous episodes is, is that – this offense goes as DeAndre Francois goes, and, and this team probably goes as, as DeAndre Francois goes. When Jimbo was a little irritated after the first, the first scrimmage, uh, again, I think, like Josh said, it's kind of, you know, he wants to make people uncomfortable. He wants to kind of push the envelope a little bit and test people in that way. But I did think that there was a message that was being sent to DeAndre Francois, because when asked about DeAndre Francois, I think he answered very average you know, how he performed. I think it was very average, two words, and that was it and then asked about Bailey Hockman he went on for about two or three minutes about you know all his upside so a clear message to DeAndre Francois I, I guess where do you guys think he has come this spring and we talked about this before that, that him trying to become more of a vocal guy have we heard kind of things about him going in, in that direction is he becoming the leader is he kind of stepping up and embracing that role like like Florida State frankly kind of needs him to for, to be successful this year
2: I, I don't absolutely I just I think like you know, he has knowledge to share now. Um, he's not, he's not sitting there soaking it all up, trying to learn the verbiage and just trying to learn the hand signals, all the basics. I mean, he has all that already. So he's, he's verbally speaking to other players, which in turn kind of makes him a leader. Um, I, I, I think he's just going to continue to embrace that role as he matures on the field. Um, I think, you know, Chris and I saw DeAndre in 7-on-7. Seven seven. He was always a guy that was willing to, you know, yell at a teammate, whether, it, you know, for a good thing or a bad play. But, um, yeah, I, I absolutely think DeAndre Francois is going to grow into a, a much bigger leader this year.
1: Yeah, I think when it comes to Jimbo, he kind of lives through his quarterback. Mm-hmm. And I think DeAndre is a guy that he trusts at this point. trust is a very important thing with Jimbo Fisher and his quarterbacks. I think trust was earned last year. I think we saw that in conversation about how he guided comebacks, played well, handled those late-game situations that Jimbo drills them so hard for. He handled those well, so he passed that test with Jimbo. I think the next thing for Francois is kind of getting out of his comfort zone. Well, he will be vocal, speak up, talk to a teammate. He's not the guy that just kind of commands the huddle at every turn all the time. It's just not his personality to a T. I think he's got to get a little more aggressive, a little more pit bullish in that huddle and be the guy that, you know, he's going to be dealing with a lot of young pups on the offensive line. Some guys inexperienced at receiver, you know, some new running backs who are kind of tilting the rock a little bit more than we've seen in the past. He's going to have to understand when to push the buttons, when to kind of, you know, handle a guy with kids gloves. And that's something that's learned with experience. I think he'll handle it just fine, but he'll learn it within the realm of doing it in games.
0: That's the big thing is is you mentioned, Chris, is when to kind of let off and know what buttons to push and which guys you can kind of poke and prod and and agitate and get them to play better, which guys you need to kind of be softer to. That's all part of being a leader and learning that, and that kind of takes a while. It's not natural. We saw that with Jameis Winston. That was so innate and natural for him, but that's that's so – typical and yeah, I posted a video uh, earlier on, on this morning, Thursday morning here, as we're uh, recording, uh, of DeAndre Francois kind of talking to the media uh, the previous night and kind of last time we'll talk to him before the spring, and he's just so uh, you know, monotone and kind of does not like talking to the media, and, and he's an introvert, and he's you know, obviously more open in front of teammates and, and like Josh said, he will get after guys. We saw that on the sideline last year. He will, but it's not natural for him. It's not his. It's not his first instinct is to do that. He has to be kind of cognizant of, of being a leader. And I think that's kind of what we've seen him try to be this year, or sorry, this spring. Um, and, and you know, talking to some teammates like Jock Patrick said, I man, he's been so calm, cool, and collected this spring. Uh, and that's great, and that's part of the first, you know, a foundation of becoming a leader is, is being comfortable with yourself, and then you can take care of the other things. So I think we're kind of starting to see that. Uh, this is going to be a big summer for him during the seven on sevens and whatnot, where where he kind of becomes the guy that that's organizing things and and getting wide receivers on the same page, and and so I, I'm interested to uh, to kind of see, I guess, how he prog- progresses not just from the spring but now in the summer and, and see if he really, really, truly. Uh, puts a stamp on uh on this team Uh, one one other quick thought and then we're going to transition to uh to recruiting uh, for both you guys to talk about but but on Wednesday uh, last night Chris when we talked to Jimbo you mentioned he was in a good mood and talked about players he must have talked about what 25 30 different players or so have you ever in my three or four years covering the team I don't think I've ever seen him just go down a list like that so comfortably and calmly uh, evaluating guys I don't know if there's anything to read into that or not have you ever seen him do that before
1: Not in that setting. I mean, I I think he's spoken about guys in that way at like booster meetings and things of that sort during the spring tour. But, you know, in the spring season, when he's dealing with the media, he's usually kind of abrupt, short, you know, won't say a whole lot, especially if a guy's not like a significant contributor, you know, forecaster to be one. He'll be relatively short. And last night he wasn't that way. If we threw a name at him. He gave us his thoughts, whether they be short or long. You know, Darvin Taylor was a guy that I gave a really good quote about, you know, a guy we haven't spoken to him about in probably about a year. And the last time we asked him about him, it was about a shoulder surgery. So it, it was interesting. It was It was, frankly, a good conversation. I wish he was like that more often. I get why he isn't. He's a guarded guy, maybe even a tad bit paranoid in some ways. But most coaches are. He's not going to be quick to just, you know, sit there and give us 20 minutes and if we ask him any question answer it but he did that last evening i appreciated it i think most of us on the beat did too
0: yeah it was informative and enlightening you were actually in a good mood afterwards which is you know very <laughs> which is not really rare after an interview you just want to go home and and do writing from there so uh and i'm usually in the same boat we're usually all miserable afterwards because we don't get anything but it was it was nice and it was uh like i said it and enlightening so uh one last thing, we'll talk about the spring game, which is on Saturday. I guess real quick, guys, for for both of you and Josh, I'll start with you. One thing that you want to see that you're going to pay attention to uh, on, on Saturday, whether it's offense, defense, one player, a unit, uh, one collective thing that you're kind of interested to see and that you're going to pay specific attention to on Saturday?
2: Uh, probably the wide receivers last year. was Auden Tate that kind of broke out and made a name for himself and we saw that carry over to the fall Mm -hmm. so you know see who it is this year is it keep Gavin or Devontae Phillips or Nooney continue to stay hot you know I think watching that chemistry develop will be interesting
0: we did see chemistry with DeAndre Francois it was DeAndre was on Auden Tate's team and I think we saw that pretty clearly Mm -hmm. and that you're right that did carry over and that was was telling, um, Chris. What about you? What's uh, What's one thing that you you kind of are curious to see? I
1: think the trenches are what I'll be watching the most. I want to see you know what they're going to do at defensive end as a group because it's pretty clear they're not replacing Walker with one guy. Mm-hmm. And on the offensive side, I want to see how those guys the bookends especially do. And I want to see how on handles it. I want to see when the bullets are flying, if he's making the right calls. You know, getting the offense set communicating well presuming he's with Francois how they handle snap center exchange I want to see that stuff I'm pretty interested in that
0: my thing and this is low-hanging fruit I want to see campmakers I want to see what the hype is about we've heard nothing but really good things about him is is he the truth is he the real deal um is he this prodigious uh you know game changer that we've heard about so I'm kind of interested to see exactly what he is, and kind of the, all the running backs. I mean, if I Amir mean, Rasul, if he's a, uh, you know, if he's allowed to to kind of go through contact or not, we've heard good things about him. Jacquizz Patrick, obviously. So I'm kind of curious to see that whole unit, but specifically Cam Akers. Uh, I want to see the athleticism and how that that raw athleticism that we've heard so much about kind of translates over to to playing in pads. Uh, so from so from there, we'll go from spring game to spring game, but recruiting uh, and just recruiting this spring, this off season guys what, what's fsu's philosophy during this time of year uh before we start recording chris you mentioned a bunch of guys have been on campus so i guess yeah, w- what does florida state kind of want to accomplish from say you know, after signing day until until now the spring game when they can host recruits and have them at the game
1: uh, they want to get a kid on the campus for a junior day or a similar visit a spring practice visit or a spring game visit so they can kind of see how they do it you know any elements of football then they want to get them back in the summer for a summer camp visit, whether they work out or just hang out. Then they want to get them back in the fall for an unofficial visit and eventually an official visit. If they can pull that off, they'll get five visits out of a guy. If a guy shows up on your campus five times, he wants to go there. You know, it, it's kind of like a just build the relationship, slowly work at the stone until you have what you want modeled out at stone with the recruit. So. Yeah, the spring has been good for them. I feel like every practice they have consistently at least a couple guys at them. You know, the practice the other day, I think it was Saturday's practice, I feel like they had about 20, 25 recruits there. That's a pretty impressive showing. The spring game they'll probably have at least a couple dozen to three dozen, you know, high-level kids. So they've done a good job of just continually keeping it a revolving door of getting kids in there to see them in the practice element.
0: Josh, is it more when they have all these guys coming during the spring and during the you know, junior days and, and whatnot, is this more, you know, like Chris said, is it more kind of informative for, for the players to visit the you know FSU and kind of see what FSU is about? Or is this kind of, you know, is FSU philosophically kind of trying to test players that they're bringing on to campus this many times to get to know them better? Or do they already kind of know at this point what, what they got and they're just trying to make the hard sell?
2: Yeah, I think they first and foremost look at the film and, you know, they want to see – if the personality, they want to bring the kids on campus and see if a few things match up. One, height and weight, you know, is what we see. They want to verify that in person always. Mm-hmm. And then two, they want to verify the type of person he is, and they want to build a relationship with not only him but the family. So, I think that these visits are important for for the for the relationship building. Really, um, the, you can always do that over the phone and over text, but it just it isn't the same as when you have a pers- personal connection. And then that carries over to the, uh, the future conversations that you have over phone and stuff. So it just builds on it, and I think it's very important to get these guys in early. And like Chris said, ever since that first junior day in February, it's just been a revolving door of top prospects. And there's a few that they still want to get on campus, but when you look at the board and you look at the top-tier prospects, I mean, almost nearly everybody's been on campus at least once, so... There'll be another big weekend for recruiting. Don't know if we'll have any actual commitments this weekend, but it's it's big in terms of the whole process for 2018 and 2019.
0: Off topic, Josh has such a nice like radio voice. I feel like mine gets really nasally and up high, and Josh got like this nice silky smooth voice. Um, I, I'm <laughs> in, I'm impressed. I'm well, trying to make you uncomfortable after uh, I was on the big three roll up, and I just walked into a. Uh, a shit show there I, I had no idea what i was oh that do. was
2: nothing man you don't even have to prepare for that it's not even i mean that's just shooting the sh- shooting the stuff <laughs> forgot what show we're on i don't
0: know i don't know I think I think, I think I think i think we can say shit i wouldn't go any more than that because uh okay. Okay. Because okay it gets into the writing every now and then too we'll throw a couple curse words if a coach says it so hey I i'm just
2: trying cool. to i'm just trying to behave Get uh, i just want a second invite
0: know your audience you'll be you'll, i'm sure you'll be back right chris will he be back
2: Maybe we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> um, see what the numbers do with having me on. Yeah, kind of dip you guys get. Uh,
0: spring game. Uh, how many? Chris, you said a couple dozen. I guess uh, you guys are going to have a list, and we'll have more of that, you know, going into the weekend. But a couple, just f- for the audience, maybe the uh, sorry the um, the casual fan who who doesn't you know know all the recruiting guys, like who's one or two uh, of names that they kind of want to want to look out for this weekend.
1: Well, Justin Fields is a Penn State quarterback commitment. He's from North Georgia, up near Kennesaw, Georgia. goes to Harrison High School. Penn State pledge. um, Talented kid. I think he's the best quarterback I've seen at a camp event this spring, personally. Uh, They're supposed to get him in. I'm not 100% sure if it will be Saturday before the game, during the game, Sunday, because his team's coming here to play seven-on-seven at an event here in Tallahassee on Sunday. But they're expecting him on campus. I was told he's going to make it to campus. He's a kid I think they could very likely offer and maybe kind of begin a relationship with. It's pretty clear they need a 2018 quarterback in this class. I think he's one of the better ones. Then 2019 quarterback Grant Connell, Texas kid, been here a few times. Him and his dad are coming back. Josh has had a lot of communication with them. Grant is a phenomenal quarterback in the 2019 class. He's done a really good job of getting in there early building a strong relationship. Tim Brewster did a lot of work to kind of get the door open. I think the staff as a whole has kind of done it together since that point. So those are two guys. Several committed kids to FSU are supposed to show up. Um, Another uncommitted kid that I would probably point out is Asante Samuel, Jr., son of the former NFL pro. Asante was here for a junior day, came very close to committing, but his mother wasn't with him on that visit. He wants her to see it before he would ever pull the trigger she is supposed to be here this weekend with him so he's a guy that i think you know it's worth pointing out that he's coming back to campus
0: and with his mom and if it's with his mom i know josh said yeah. you know maybe don't expect a commitment this weekend but if there's anyone i would imagine he'd be one of the guys that has a a, a decent chance to, to pop right
2: yeah anytime they come on campus they could they just kind of set different timelines Asante's kind of hinted that maybe spring or early summer um, Amari, you know, Amari just trimmed his list to what, Chris, a top six. Yeah. Six schools for Amari. Well, you wouldn't expect him to commit this weekend, but he's back. So it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility. Um, but you know, these are important. These are important visits, regardless if they get commitments about, I don't, I don't think anybody should look at whether this weekend's a success based on
1: commitments. Yeah. Commitments don't matter until kids enroll in January or sign in February. People get worked up, you know, especially when the commitment list is maybe short or a guy backs off a pledge. But the truth is, I, I feel like at this point in the Fisher regime, uh, you know, patience is – it's earned. Like, you know, people can understand that it's going to happen, that they have a method to their madness. They're not obsessed with racking up 18 commitments and beating their chest in April and acting like they're the offseason national champions. They're not – going to act like Miami or Kentucky loves to act, you know, when they can't win on the field, but they do a good job in recruiting. That's not FSU's forte. It's not what they do. Right. And you got to understand there's a bigger picture to all of
2: this. Just the way that Florida State is already heavily recruiting 2019, they were heavily recruiting 2018 a year ago this time. So they're not going to rush into taking guys. I mean, they've been doing their evaluations. They've been building the relationships for a long time just because maybe they don't have momentum right now, doesn't mean they're going to go off script and do something out of character. You know, they've, they've identified their targets. They've started recruiting them. A lot of them have dates that they have in mind where they're going to commit or, or, or do. And, and even if they do commit on those dates and it's not FSU, what does it really mean? Uh, we saw what they did last, last, uh, December with Kendo and McKitty, you know, both those guys were flips. Um, and both had committed to programs during the summer. So Florida State still keeps everything within perspective, no
1: matter what's going on around them outside when it comes to recruiting. Yeah. And the other thing to add on that is they're calculated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they had kids here at junior day, so they probably could have got a commitment from, but they intentionally did not have that kid sit in front of the Jimbo Fisher. So the opportunity to make a commitment wasn't there for them. And that that's, There's a reason for that. They want to, you know, they have 10 kids on the board. They have two spots for that position. You know, they like all 10 kids, but they need to figure out the two they love. And they're not going to rush into that. Sometimes you don't want to take a kid in February that prevents you from taking a better player in August or December or January or February. And FSU's been pretty good about, you know not getting ahead of themselves or kind of weeding out the class as they go to get what they want in at the end and of the there's season. not a lot of programs that can recruit like that
0: yeah i think we found your two guys comfort zone it's like you know what you're talking about with recruiting or something like that uh, chris you start off by talking about uh justin field the quarterback from uh was it uh south georgia area or wow. kennesaw i don't know Where, where's kennesaw
1: kennesaw is up near north georgia like um. powder springs it's a uh, I'm not great at geography, but I want to say it's like the northwest corner of
0: Atlanta. It, it probably doesn't really matter, I guess, exactly where he's from. Although uh, you know, Georgia's been pretty good to Florida State, and uh, so is South Georgia. But so they have him coming on uh, this weekend, and, and quarterback, obviously, uh, you know, is, is something that that fans are going to focus on. Josh, you did a story I want to say about a week or so ago about Florida State's uh, quarterback board. Uh, where where's Fields on that, and um, I guess what. You know, what does it look like right now as we're kind of at this point in the spring?
2: Well, I think really the board is Trevor Lawrence, and uh, there's three names on the board. Trevor Lawrence, who Florida State really doesn't have a shot at right now, and I don't know if that's ever going to come around, but they're going to stay in there. They're going to continue to let him know that if he does want to take a visit or does want to change his mind, that they're there for it. Uh, then you got Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who is offered by Jimbo Fisher slightly after that Las Vegas seven on seven. I want to say three, four weeks ago now. And then Emery Jones, he's an Ohio state commitment. Mm-hmm. So they got three, three names on the board. Emory Jones is going to visit. He's been talking to Randy Sanders and Jimbo Fisher throughout the off season. Um, right now, I think Justin Fields will be the next one to get offered. I don't think there's any guarantee that it comes this weekend, but, if I had to put some money on it, I, I think he does get offered either when he leaves or shortly after. What do you think, Chris?
1: Well, I think uh, I'm pretty sure that he's playing with Cam Newton, all stars in the seven on mm-hmm. seven event Sunday. I'm pretty sure Tight Action Sports, which is a Tallahassee-based seven on seven team, is playing in that. So Trey Jimbo Fisher, be there. right? Trey Fisher is a quarterback for Tight Action, which allows Jimbo to be there, you know, circumventing NCAA rules because he's the father of a player on the team. So he'll have an opportunity, if he's able to make it out there, presuming he doesn't have something else already on the schedule that prevents it. So he should be able to see Fields throw in person, which is always kind of the you know, thing that takes before he's ready to put ink on paper about an offer when a quarterback is seeing him throw in person. So I also uh, think a little
2: bit of that is for show. I mean, I, I think that if Fields, let's say, like, Fields' shoulder was hurt, I think Jimbo would absolutely offer him still after the weekend. But I think... It makes a quarterback – it just gives the quarterback and the recruit the sense that, you know, this coach is doing this, all this due diligence just for you. Um, He wants to verify everything. He's not going to fall in line and just offer because other schools offered. I think part of it's for show.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think that's right. Yeah, I I think you – it's sort of earning the rubber stamp. But Mm -hmm. I, I think with recruiting, something that FSU does effectively that maybe not all programs do, they make kids earn the offer, and it's a two-way street with them. They're not big on just, hey, we're going to throw out an offer to you. They want to know there's mutual interest, and field showing up, whether or not he's solid to Penn State, you know, it could very likely be him showing up, throwing in front of Jimbo, having a conversation with Randy Sanders, Jimbo Fisher, when he visits campus, that all matters. It and checks think, all the boxes for an offer. Right. You're not wasting your time, and the kid's not wasting your time. And you know that. You've kind of done your due diligence, and now, hey, let's go recruit him for the next eight months or ten months, depending on if he's an early enrollee.
2: Yeah, yeah. And then, so so after those, so I think we get a fourth quarterback in the mix on, on the QB board in terms of offers. And then we know that Florida State also likes a few guys. They like Arthur Sikowski, who who's committed to Miami. They want to see him throw this summer. They like Michael Penix, who's at Tampa Bay Tech, who I currently have crystal ball to Tennessee. Joe Milton, who we talk about a lot, he's out of Orlando. I, I know Jimbo's intrigued by him. He saw him throw in Vegas. He loves his size, his athleticism, his arm strength. Um, accuracy is a question. I think Jimbo wants to work with him one on one this summer, see what he, see what he is as a as a passer. Um, and then a name that you know Chris and I have been fully aware of for the last two years, Riley Smith. Uh, he's an interesting pro style quarterback out of Jacksonville that's that's a regular at camp. Um, I saw him this spring he's, he's added a lot of good size. He's at least six foot four right now. Um, I'd say close to 200 pounds. He's a guy he's a, he's a kid I should say that you know Chris and I have been watching come and throw and he's always been tall and lanky and now he's starting to fill out so I think get him on campus this summer to throw along with Carter Bradley, who's Gus Bradley's son out of Providence in Jacksonville. He's another guy that uh, Chris and I saw at, at Nike. He's 6'1", 6'2", um, good arm. You know, I, I can't say that he's going to get an offer, but I think he's a guy that that should probably camp, FSU take a look at. So there's some names on the board. Uh, we'll, we'll see it expand. We'll see it could expand this weekend. It could expand again in the spring once the coaches get on the road. And then the next chance would be summer. And remember this: if we were doing this podcast one one year ago today, the three of us could talk recruiting for two hours, and not one of us would mention James Blackman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Well,
0: I was going to say, uh, is there a chance that with that in mind, like, like could they go after more than than one guy in this class? I know they took two last class in Blackman and Hockey. Jimbo
2: will go after as many arms as he thinks can win at Florida State. Mm-hmm. And that's
0: yeah.
1: Jimbo's greedy as hell when it comes to recruiting. <laughs> he just wants more and more and more if they're good and they can help that man win football games and build depth and create competition and practice and put together a team that's not 22 deep good but 44 or even 66 deep good hell yeah he's gonna take them and you yeah. know he's only got he's got Francois for one maybe two more years he's got Hawkman, and then after that he doesn't have really squat so yeah he's not gonna hesitate to take good players he likes Blackman coming in, obviously. You don't sign guys at that position you don't like. But, you know, after Blackman, there's nothing. So one to two in the class, heck yeah. I don't, I don't think he would hesitate in a second if he found two of high quality that he thought could win football games in yeah, and FSU. Yeah,
2: and even, let's just say, Justin Fields committed on Saturday. Jimbo's not going to stop recruiting quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Right if Emory Jones comes on campus in June and wants to flip to Ohio State Jimbo's going to be there with open arms i mean there there's not even going to be any hesitation so yeah i agree with chris i think they're going to you know take at least one maybe two um, and
1: Jimbo's just going to be greedy that's what he does we, we cover a program that has like 15 tight ends on the roster mm-hmm. and we all know how an important quarterback is compared to tight ends so they're not <laughs> going to hesitate to put too many on the roster that i don't think that's a thought process plus that's a position where the transfer rate is probably higher than pretty much any transfer rate at any position in college football yeah. so you know at one second you can have five six good ones the next second you have two
0: so florida state's been hit yeah. by that the transferring out that position pretty hard too in in recent yeah. years and that's kind of depleted the depth like behind francois we're talking jj cosentino who, and that's not fantastic option at this point and then and you're asking for a true freshman if something happens to Francois. So Bailey Hawkman or, or James Blackman. And I don't think Jimbo Fisher's ever played a true freshman quarterback since he's been at Florida State. I don't know when the last time he played a true freshman quarterback anywhere was. Yeah.
1: The, the One other thing to add on the quarterback conversation is that it's insane because it's going to accelerate at an insane pace here in the next 60 days. When we're exiting June, roughly, probably – you know, five out of every six top quarterbacks in the class are going to be committed,
0: and, and that's it's typical just, for quarterbacks too, right? They usually kind of they pop earlier than, than most other positions.
1: Yeah, and when, and when the ball starts get rolling at that position, you know, five six kids commit in like a week span, and then all of a sudden, fifteen have committed really quick. Mm. So we saw that last summer. I forget who got the ball rolling, but I feel like we went from having about ten committed to twenty five in about a two week span. And I remember at the uh, opening regionals, I guess it would be two years ago now, you know, I think there were 30 kids at the semifinal deal they did, and I want to say 28 of them were committed. And that's a June-July event. So that just kind of gives you an idea of how that position, it goes from being a hotbed of, hey, we need to get this kid spring eval, get them in for camp, and then all of a sudden after camp, they're all off the board. A lot of kids take a visit in June and decide in June, it seems, at that position.
0: that position. um all right, so transitioning from quarterback, uh, FSU, I, I can't even remember all the weeks. I, I'm in the middle of a moving into a new house right now, first house, and it's it's been uh, exhausting. So I can't even remember. Teron Vincent, what was that last week that he ended up going to Ohio State? Is that or right? Was it Monday? I don't so know.
1: too. I think I think it was Monday. Right. He took the visit on like Thursday, Friday. To Ohio State decided out of that visit. So either Sunday or Monday. The days all run together.
0: <laughs> yes, they do. Yeah. How, how much, regardless of what day, how much did that did that hurt Florida State? I know they were in the final two there, and they felt pretty good about him. And was that was that one that the staff was you know kind of counting on at this point?
2: Uh, I don't think counting on would be the correct word. But I was told that there was some shock. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think anytime anytime that we we look at the recruits that Odell has landed, where he's locked in. Two plus years. You know, we go back all the way to Timmy Jernigan, Darvin Taylor, Derek Noddy, Marvin Wilson was a guy that he was on for two plus years. And Teron Vincent was a guy that he was on for two plus years. So, you know, you're not going to get everybody in recruiting. Nick Saban doesn't get everybody in recruiting. Nobody gets everybody in recruiting. And this was one of those instances where Florida State did what they normally do in order to land a number one prospect at a position. And they just didn't get him, you know? Yeah. Um, I think there was definitely surprise. I don't think it's something that cripples them. Um, you know, they've landed the, uh, a top defensive tackle going on, like, three, four years in a row now. Um, there's still others out there. There's still talent on the roster. It's not a huge need, I think, but it was the guy
1: that they wanted. So, you know, they'll regroup. It'll be all right. Yeah, I'm with Josh on it. He's a great player. He would have you know, made the roster better, but it's not like they're going from having nothing to having to have him. Mm-hmm. You know, they have a guy named Marvin Wilson coming on campus. They have Jalen Parks, Corey Durden coming on campus. They have a relatively good group of D-tackles currently on campus, most of which are younger guys. You know, They've got options in the 2018 class. A guy like Jeffrey Johnson might kind of move up in the importance category. Johnson's not like Vincent. Vincent's a little more of an athletic guy. You probably can move around. Johnson's more of a nose guard. But you got plenty of talent. There's plenty of options. Plus, it happened eight months before the turn of the year, ten months before signing day. So, you know, you play it out. I don't think Vincent's a kid who's going to have a second recruitment unless something goes Ari at Ohio State. I think he was very mature with processing done, unless, you know, Larry Johnson was to leave or Urban Meyer was to leave or You know, to steal a quote from an Alabama pledge who was once committed to FSU to school burns down. Um, But I think FSU will be fine at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, and and they have. Correct me if I'm wrong. Couple couple of guys secured in 2018 and 2019. Uh, You know, they got Robert Cooper. Who else do they have in 2019? Um, True Thompson. True Thompson. And they like. I mean, Chris, you saw him live at a camp last weekend, right? And he was pretty pretty impressive. My understanding is.
1: Yeah, two weeks ago, saw him up at Atlanta. Nike did a really good job. That O-line group he was competing with there was really talented, especially on the interior. Held his own. True's a smart kid. It, he needs to continue to grow. He's just a tad bit over six foot tall. But he's a very strong... He kid. measured
2: in it. Uh, did he... Oh, no, I'm sorry. Cooper measured in it. What, six foot two at that? Yeah. At Nike. Were you surprised? Uh, are you surprised by that? Do you think he's six
1: two? Who, Coop? Yeah, I think Coop's six two. I think guys who are... I, I'm not trying to be rude. Guys who are rotund, who are large, as Coop and True both are, they look shorter because they are sort of rotund. They're not this slender stick figure basketball build. They're more kind of short, fat bowling balls. Yeah, but
2: I mean, they're not I'm going to defer to you on this because I feel like you're the expert on this subject. On being a fat bowling ball? Okay. <laughs> Rotu- hey.
0: Rotund.
2: Rotund. When you you know when we entered the rotund zone, I just defer to you, but yeah, I was shocked that he was he was he measured it at six two. I still don't know if I believe that. Like, I would not be shocked if he gets to the NFL Combine and measures in it like six foot and three quarter or something like that.
0: I love like yeah, the low I, center of gravity defensive tackles. Like that's fantastic. You get a little butter balls like that are six foot three. Like Grady Jarrett's like what six one. Absolutely. I love him at Clemson. Absolutely,
2: a lot of the great ones I and mean, you know we don't need to talk about that here but yeah i don't i don't think that's a that's a big deal i was just more we've seen the inconsistencies in numbers from nike to the nfl combine so i don't know if that's another instance or if it's
1: legit cooper's a heavy cat he needs to cut some weight probably about 330 pounds. i think he understands that so yeah as long as he makes the effort does it whether it's you know during his high school career or when he arrives on campus at fsu He's going to be fine. He's a strong kid. uses his hands well, moves well for a big boy, fairly athletic feet. He understands what he's doing that position. To me, he checks the boxes. I, I don't need my D tackles to be, who was it, John Henderson? That was like 6'6", played for Tennessee in the Jaguars, if I remember correctly. Yes. Yes. I don't need that guy every time. Don't get me wrong. I'll take one of those without blinking. But if you can use your hands, play that position, move your feet, get off blocks, finish plays, you're going to have a good college career. I don't. You don't have to be prototypical NFL prospect to prosper at that position. Grady Jarrett's a great example, and he's been a good NFL pro. But Grady didn't check the boxes of a lot of people as a high school recruit. But that son of a gun could use his hands, was strong, and could get off blocks. And you know what he did at Clemson, and now he's doing in the NFL.
0: And Derek Noddy's been that guy for Florida. He's not yeah, more than what, six six one, I and mean, he's just tough to move. I. Uh, was I wrote something a couple of weeks ago, and it turned out to be more polarizing than I thought. But I was just kind of looking at the the way Florida State's getting defensive tackles now that are just weighing a lot more than even earlier on in, in the Jimbo Fisher era, even when they were getting good good players like a Timmy Jernigan or Eddie Goldman, who kind of you know they come in all shapes and sizes. And and I know I talked about this with Chris. He thought I was maybe a little bit off in thinking that they changed not prototypes, but they were just able to kind of secure. You know, they were maybe looking a little bit more at girth over pure athleticism or that combo, you know, they're kind of leaning more towards that. Josh, have you kind of seen any kind of difference with that or am I just way off, off base with that? I
2: I don't think unlike the defensive backboard where we can kind of project what guys FSU would be interested in and guys they pass on. I don't think the defensive tackle board is the same. I think they look for quickness, leverage, you know, uh, ability to play with the hands. I just, I don't think that there's like a cookie cutter form for the defensive tackle position at FSU. They've done it. They Look at DeMarcus Christmas compared to Derek Nottie. I mean, they couldn't be more different.
1: Yeah, Odell loves recruiting guys who remind him of himself, and that's a bad thing. But he'll go outside that mold and recruit a guy who's uniquely special, who's Mm -hmm. a large or physical being. So I think it's all about can they get the job done? Do they have a motor? Do they know what they're doing? Are they coachable? Odell ain't going to put up with no, you know what. He's very much – Odell likes to be hands-on with his guys. I think every D-tackle they've had committed has camped with him over the last several years. I know Marvin did, Durden did, Parks did, Cooper did, Thompson did. So that's the last two, three years of recruiting right there. All of those guys camped with him. So it's pretty clear he's not just going off video. He's taking what he sees on video to recruit a kid, but he's also taking what he gets a hands-on feel for
0: all right and with that i think we're going to wrap up the podcast we got a lot of good recruiting information in uh hopefully gave you a little bit of a preview for the spring game uh with the Knowles 24 7 podcast i'm brendan sinone uh thank you chris knee for joining us and josh newberg uh for joining us as well for the first time what do you think chris is he coming back uh in the future
1: yeah him and bob we got to get bob back too
0: we'll get a we'll get a quartet going yeah bob bob is uh yeah, taking his me wife bob out
1: can tag team
0: it bob bob's one taking week. well <laughs> bob's one taking week really,
2: on one week off
0: Maybe rotate it. I mean, you guys don't always need me here, too. I don't feel like I bring a whole lot to the show necessarily, other than I know how to edit the the, the audio. Uh, forget <laughs> well, where forget to without that. <laughs> um, I'm sure we can find someone to do that. Yeah, Bob is out taking his uh, his wife uh, to lunch for her birthday. So, uh, being a dutiful husband, good for him. Uh, meanwhile, we're here just kind of wasting an hour of our lives talking about football. So, anyways, with the Knowles Twenty Four Seven Podcast, I'm Brendan Sinone. Thanks, uh, as always, guys, for joining us.